Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience of Smith Weekly, including Paul M., Cindy W., Matt S., and Steve B. Brand new guest on the show today, Mr. Joe Kelly has joined us. Joe is the Chief Executive Officer of Uranium Markets, LLC, a longtime uranium broker and price reporter that has extensive relationships with utilities, producers, and traders. You can learn more about Uranium Markets via their website, uraniummarkets.com. Mr. Kelly, thanks for taking the time. How are you, sir? I am great, Andrew, and thank you for having me on this program. I think it's going to be very exciting to talk about something I'm very passionate about, which is the newly the new volatility in the uranium markets, how fun this is. We're, we're kind of a market that stays rather quiet. A uh, little goes on at times, but we have some newfound volatility, and we're very excited about it, so I'm looking forward to speaking to you. Yeah, Joe, it's a pleasure. It's great to finally get you on here and bring you guys out a little bit more to some of our audience, which I know it's important to them to to get all of these perspectives. And you guys play a pretty key role in this industry. It's a small industry, but uh, a big role for you guys nonetheless. And to kick things off here, Joe, I'd maybe just go ahead and tell the audience a bit on your background and what got you into this, you know, odd uranium business. Well, I'll tell you, I have been a financial intermediary. I've worked in uh, Japan for a couple of years. I worked in London for about eight years, always as an intermediary, creating transparency and liquidity on many, many financial products. I started uh, at Wall Street in 1986 and, uh, and have worked all the way up to being senior managing director of large brokerage firms uh, to the point where I reached some financial goals and was able to step down from working some years ago. Uh, I wanted to return to work in a lesser capacity because my world got a little small. So, uh, so I wanted to reach out and connect with the world again. Uh, and I didn't know how to do that uh, uh, or what I wanted to do that with. So I found this market, this, this, uh, this uranium world that was sort of uh, in, a, in a space of its own. Uranium didn't trade connected to anything. You couldn't hedge it uh, with anything other than a uranium hedge. Uh, there was no uh, transactions you could do that relates to uranium itself. It was living in its own little world. So I, I kind of liked it. They were going through some unprecedented volatility uh, back in, uh, in 2008 when I joined the industry, and they needed some uh, some sort of transparency and, uh, and liquidity that they didn't have. And it just happens to be my field of expertise globally running many of these businesses that could provide that service. So it was like a match made in heaven. It was a, it was a, a relatively small, quiet industry. Everybody's wonderful. They like each other. They get along. They hope each other succeeds. And, uh, and I had a little bit of expertise that I could offer to the industry. And it was kind of fun because the industry doesn't really let really new people into the industry uh, and uh, and they let me in because I had a little something they needed and we got along we, we put this 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 program together of transparency and liquidity in a in an OTC brokerage model which is kind of stolen from years and years of developing a foreign exchange product fixed income equities 
and then bringing it to kind of figuring out what the needs of the uh, of the Iranian market was and taking my uh, my 25 years of experience in Wall Street and, and giving the market what they needed. So it was good fun. They were very welcoming, and it's been a been a good uh, uh, 15 or so years for me. So I really I really enjoy working with this crowd. Joe, I appreciate that, and maybe you could just talk a little bit more, you know, kind of what it took. I mean, the time you spent on efforts with relations, building relationships, and the network in this business. Maybe you could just talk about that, and maybe how complex and difficult that might have been starting out. Well, for me, it was enjoyable because I like meeting people, so I'd go to various conferences at the beginning, and they really, as I said at first, as I said just before, it's not an industry that welcomes an outsider in or an outside industry, and they they had a problem. And I addressed that problem, and I did it not in a broad scale, but talking to the individual members of the industry. I, I got on a phone with uh, uh, with everyone who either bought or sold uranium. Uh, I, I met them at conferences. I, I talked to them uh, in the uh, lobbies of the uh, of the conference centers. I talked to them over the uh, bars and restaurants that we would visit, and, and I got to know the people and their needs and what they were lacking in the industry. I helped design. The, uh, uh, the OTC brokerage model, which is uh, uh, quite popular today because it creates a real-time opportunity for people to understand pricing. Like I mentioned to you, we've got volatility today in the industry, uh, in, in the Iranian markets, and, and there's a likelihood during our conversation right now that I might uh, be called to close a deal, which I'm not going to end our discussion. I'm going to enhance our discussion by talking about that because right now we had a transaction that took place at a six-year high of 39 dollars and 75 cents and we haven't seen those prices in a very long time and we have another offer that has come in a little while ago uh, at uh, 40 dollars and 50 cents so we're seeing if now that will interest the investor community uh, that has now entered the uranium space and they might find printing a deal over 40 uh, might be something that they feel there's value in so if that takes place hopefully i could share it with you and your listeners and uh, and be able to uh, bring it to them as it happens. Joe, humor me here. I, this is a great bonus, and I hope that does happen. I hope you do get a few calls, and I appreciate you uh, you keeping this with us here as part of that and not cutting us off. That's very much appreciated. But, you know, what's the reasoning here? We've seen spot price move pretty good recently. Um, this price is being pushed up pretty quick. What do you think the reasoning is, and do you think it's sustainable? Well, you know that uh, there is only one real consumer of uranium, and that's a nuclear power plant. And in our industry, we are in the, well, there's two needs for nuclear. One is for, uh, for obviously, nuclear warheads, but we're not in that side of the business. We're in the peaceful generation of electricity side of the business. So any uranium that we deal in has to do with the peaceful generation of electricity. And the 450 or so nuclear power plants around the world, uh, we are either directly in communication with them or one degree of separation uh, dealing with them. And it's the really it's the nuclear power plants, uh, the real consumers are the ones that that drive the price usually. Now in this case here, uh, it seems the financial players uh, have uh, have entered our marketplace and uh, and and they've they've addressed the market where we're a small industry and we know each other and having these new guys in is kind of unique and strange. And there's always seems to be plenty of supply of uranium uh, for when people need it, so it doesn't really go up in price the way it just did. It's unprecedented. We've had it back in 2007 uh, for reasons different than we have it now. Uh, but right now, it's the financial industry that has come and identified uh, this commodity as being undervalued. 
and uh, they're coming into the industry and, and buying uranium. And those that have been in this business for some time have asked the question, can, can the outside entities come into our industry and, and, and buy uranium and bring up the price? Well, I told them clearly one thing they have to understand that there is more money than there is uranium. And that's all there is to it. So if the money outlasts the uranium and consumes the supply that exists, then prices will, demand exceeding supply, will go up. So in this case here, we have a clash between a supply of uranium that is adequate and can handle the present day consumption. And we have the injection of cash, people who want to take money and invest it and buy uranium. So at this point, with our new highs uh, hitting right now, it looks like the money is beating uranium. So demand is exceeding supply. So price is going up to a uh, uh, seven-year highs, six or seven-year highs. So, so that's where we stand right now. It's an interesting dynamic. The utilities have gone quiet because they tend not to support a rally uh, because they don't benefit, obviously, from paying more for uranium. Their, their job is to pay as little as possible for uranium. So they tend not to, not to fuel the rally and, and sit back and watch. So we're going to see what happens in this dynamic now where we have the utilities have gone a little bit quiet and the uh, the money is the, the cash is being converted into physical uranium and uh, the supply is now uh, now running low. So uh, uh, so we'll see how that plays out. You mentioned a good point. As a broker, you're there to make sure that both sides get a good deal and that both sides walk away reasonably happy. Can you just talk about you know that matching up process and really how from a broker you look at this market? Well, we tend to not have a dog in the fight as far as price, and that keeps us neutral. We, we have to open with our conversations. We have to make, make sure we tailor them to who we're speaking to. If we're talking to a, uh, to a consumer, to a nuclear power plant, uh, we refer to the price going down as being a good thing. If we're talking to a producer and, and the price is going up, we refer to that producer as price going up as being a good thing. So we have to make sure we, we uh, choose our words correctly because, we, as I said, we don't have a dog in the fight. And uh, uh, price going up, price going down makes no difference to us. Uh, but, the, uh, but with this price going up and the different sort of opinions and dynamics approach, uh, applying to this thing, it, it, it's, it's, it's a unique environment. What was your, now your, your specific question on this was, again, I got lost in my description. No, Joe, I think you covered it. And I think it's important to point out that as a broker, generally, you guys would be price agnostic, but really bullish on transactions. You know, obviously, more transactions, I think, the better. To answer your question, I'm sorry, that's right. Uh, Us as a broker, we're trying to make sure, and people, they call us and they say they want, uh, if they're a producer, they say they want a really high price. And I'm sorry, I, I can't help you. To your point, we can only match where the where supply meets demand at that moment. Real time pricing transactions at that moment where supply meets demand and, and as you pointed out where we promote fair value and we we transact fair value so we can't give you a good deal if you're a producer and expecting a higher price we can't get you cheap uranium it's not our job our job is to find where where supply meets demand introduce that and during times of of high volatility and sometimes look uh, transparency is so very important and we live in the world of transparency so we can report like, as I mentioned to you, the trade we just did at 39.75, we like to report that to the industry. And the decision of the industry is, well, is that cheap or is that expensive? If somebody determines that to be cheap, maybe they'll come in and try to buy at that same price. If someone finds that to be expensive, may, maybe they'll sell at that price. And our job is to capture the supply and demand 
and, and let the those those people transact. So yeah, that's our role. We're in the middle. We make sure that that everyone's looked after. We don't. We make sure nobody who, who's trying to not trying to buy something buys something, and someone who's not trying to sell something doesn't sell it. So that's what we do. Am I correct in thinking that you guys generally don't discriminate when it comes to clients? I mean, anybody who wants a service from you, you guys are probably willing to serve. Is that about right? Well, that is 100% right, because basically, as as some might or might not know, uh, you can't take physical direct delivery of uranium uh, unless you're a nuclear power plant, basically, well, generally. So we don't mind if a, uh, if, if a good, uh, a reputable, hedge fund investor wants to buy uranium, we'll introduce them to the market because we basically give up names and the counterparty's credit risk lies with each other. So we'll introduce a new client and uh, and happy to do so as long as their credit is accepted by the other side. Know your client. We make sure we know something about the client. We we uh, certainly do our, our due diligence in making sure that a client we introduce has some, uh, some degree, uh, somewhat reputable, of course, uh, and the, uh, a lot of the responsibility also falls on the counterparty we're matching them up with to make sure they do their due diligence as well. So it, it's, yes, we, we don't discriminate. We let everyone buy and sell uranium as they wish because they're not actually getting delivery. They're basically transfer or trading, buying and selling ownership certificates of uranium at the various storage facilities around the world. Joe, and if I came to you, assuming I was qualified and I wanted to buy, you know, let's say 100,000 pounds of uranium, could you set me up to make that purchase and also potentially hook me up with a storage facility that would be credible? Absolutely. That's one of the services we provide. If you want to come in as an investor, we'll uh, arrange a, a meeting, discussion. Uh, and when, when COVID's not around anymore, a, a personal meeting because our, our industry does like to get together once every two months or so, somewhere on the planet. We all fly in there and, and, and get to meet uh, all the other people or get to talk to other people from the industry. So we'd arrange for you to meet these people in person, uh, cer certainly followed, uh, following the phone call we'd introduce you to. Uh, but yes, we'd introduce you to uh, uh, the various locations for uh, for storing the uranium, the ones that it, it's kept. And, and we'd introduce you to them. You'd set up your account. We'd then find a fair priced seller for you to be matched up with, and and that person would take you on as a as a credit risk, or or they'd analyze the credit, and you'd be able to transact based on that. So no, we don't discriminate. Anyone could participate, and we do all the introductions necessary for you to participate in the market. If you chose uh, to be a trader in the market or an active participant, what we then do is then uh, it would be our uh, something we offer, and there's no charge to this offer because we only get paid uh, for commissions or transactions that are successfully completed. But if you're a new player, if you, uh, Andrew, wanted to come in and buy uranium and you wanted to be a uranium trader, we would then introduce you to all the players in the market. It's not a not a very wide, not a very big market, but we'd give you lists. We'd tell you phone numbers. We'd make the personal introduction ourselves. And then we would then be rewarded in, in return for our work uh, for a transaction you might do with one of the uh, participants in the market. We would charge a commission. Uh, to be fair also, uh, in the position we, st we, we sit in the middle, we charge both sides equal amounts. So we don't work harder for the buyer or harder for the seller. We work equally for both buyer and seller, and each pays the equal commission. And, uh, and, and that's how we would uh, introduce Andrew you to the uranium market. Joe, what would it be if I came to you, let's just use the 39.75 mark and also 100,000 pounds. As far as a commission, could you give me a ballpark as to what I could expect to pay for commission? 
But we have a, a low deal frequency in our industry because 100,000 pounds is a, is a lot. It's kind of a big trade when you talk to a commodity trade. And, and we've worked it out. And it's a, it's it's in line. Everyone pays pretty much the same rate. It, it's a fair percentage of the nominal cash value. So it's not prohibitive. And also the storage facilities charge a fee for storing the uranium, also not prohibitive. So the, the fees we charge uh, are, are reasonable. Uh, they're equal. And uh, it doesn't seem to be a deterrent uh, for people to transact uh, in our industry because of the unique transparency that's necessary in an illiquid market and our ability to be able to make you feel comfortable in trading in a fair price environment. Joe, as you know here, just switching gears, uh, the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust has, has come into the market recently and has started to test the depth of the spot market. What are your thoughts on this? And you know, what do you see going forward here? Does does this uh, spark any interest? Well, it's it, it's interesting because it's new, it's unique. Now we've had a, an ETF or closed end fund, uh, which is sort of an ETF, uranium ETF, when we had UPC, Uranium Participation Corporation, and Sprott obviously purchased uh, that interest and have now made it easier uh, for dollars to convert into physical uranium where uh, a lot of times people like Andrew, if you would call us uh, in the past and say, as you described in your last example, uh, could you participate? We tell you how we do it. Now it seems there's this cash or money that's putting cash into Sprott and they're then coming to the industry, converting that direct inflow of cash into physical uranium. Now what's that doing? That what that's doing is creating a, a real easy vehicle for this cash to come in and it's a one-way directional floodgate opening up of cash converting into in, into uranium. Now it's public the information on how the uh, the fund is growing. I believe they purchased in in, in the last couple of weeks about five million pounds, and that five million pounds is not usual demand in the market. So that's where we had had our unprecedented drive up in uh, in price. Now is it sustainable? Well, there's some some formulas you could calculate, and there's some underproduction. Uh, sometime in the future, three, four, five years out, uh, that uh, uh, that might cause prices in uranium going forward to go up. So this might be, and I often say this as a financial guy, that this drive up of price might just be the identification of an undervalued commodity, in this case, our uranium. Or it might be money that's being targeted into uh, this industry uh, and it's coming in because this money coming in now is not necessarily money from inside the industry. A lot of us are talking and uh, and we're not really asked by a lot of these people who are putting these tens of millions of dollars into this physical uranium uh, about the different uh, aspects of the industry, how there is a, a, we'll take example, but Chemico has MacArthur River and they have, they've mothballed the operation temporarily. Now MacArthur River is capable of producing 18 million pounds of uranium a year. We've had Sprott come in and buy 5 million pounds and bring the price up from $31, say, uh, to uh, almost to just about $40 now. So basically that being ha that happening, uh, if this production comes on, will the money be able to continue to uh, float in? Now, let me hold on a second here, Andrew. We have someone inquiring about our offer of $40.50. Let's see. I like it. Yeah, so oh, some another. Now we have a second offer that came in at forty dollars and fifty cents. Uh, now uh, the, we have two uh, of the new offers because when thirty nine seventy five traded, the next offer that came in was forty dollars and fifty cents. Now we have two different offers there, so we're going to see if uh, 
if the inflow of cash today uh, makes it uh, decides to step up beyond the $40 price level. Because if, if you look at the, the ETF right now, uh, the SPUT ETF, uh, that's now trading uh, at a 2.61% uh, increase on the day. So it's trading in the dollar denomination, the SRUUF, it's trading at 1131. So basically you still have an increase, you still have cash coming into SPUT or SPRAT, and, uh, and with that coming in, that means they're gonna convert that automatically, which is their, their policy to convert, or at least certainly what they're doing, they're converting any injection of cash into, uh, into uranium. So if they're trading at a premium uh, to the uh, price of uranium, they'll then sell more shares instantly up to, I think they have the capacity up to 10 million, uh, uh, 10 million pounds worth, and, uh, and, and they'll inject that in and, uh, and they'll buy their uranium. So they're now evaluating the $40.50 price level and uh, they'll figure it out from that. So I can't report a new high in the market right now. I can't report a transaction. All I can report is now we have two different entities offering at $40.50. That's excellent. I see that uh, Sprout is just over a 11% premium. And uh, at that kind of premium, I suspect that they'll continue to push shares out there and raise capital here with that premium. Right. So it'll be slightly yeah. under that, but still a premium in it. So as it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy for the investors, if they keep putting more money in and buying more uranium and making the price go up, then the fund continues to go up. So the more money that comes in, the more uranium that gets bought, the more the price continues to go up, the higher the, uh, the, the, uh, the fund goes up. Uh, the equity in the fund, the price of the stock. So it, it's a continuing trend. Uh, we haven't seen a backward movement on it yet. So uh, we'll certainly watch that and, uh, and see how it goes. But as I said, I'm agnostic on direction. So uh, up prices is not good or bad. It, it's just something that's happening. Joe, I want to come back to something you said earlier, and it surrounds supply and demand and, of course, uh, existing production capacity that's been shut in. You know, would you agree from here that the uranium price probably needs to rise to meet demand as it stands today, as well as future replenishment of inventories in the coming years? Well, it's more to your to your question. It's more understanding what's creating this adjustment in price. It's not the utilities identifying it to be a, a, a purchasable commodity at the price it presently exists. So it's the investors, the uh, the analysts. People who are doing analytics on uranium feel it's it could be undervalued, and it might be undervalued. If it is undervalued, then they're coming to market. They're creating true value. Now, what would cause something to be undervalued? If production uh, is not robust enough to meet demand because of lower prices, then that means it would be underpriced. And if a investor community came in and brought that price up where production was robust, and uh, and plentiful enough to meet the demand of the nuclear power plants around the world, uh, then that certainly would mean we're, that the trend has legs. It's going in that direction. Now, it might be overbought at this price. We might get overproduction at this price. We might or might not. I'm not quite sure. It might be $60 that that takes place. Uh, it might be even fairly priced now. It might come down a little bit to where it was priced before. Uh, you can't tell. Only after the smoke clears, because this is this is a brand new phenomenon, having this this injection of cash come in. Now, there's a minor difference. We had this happen back in 2007, where the price of uranium went up to $136 a pound, a lot higher than it is now. Prior to that, there was a little movement off $10 a pound for many decades, and all of a sudden there was a disequilibrium with not enough supply, a lot of demand, 
a lot of demand driven by outside money other than just consumption money and or the nuclear power plant money. So, but it, it was determined that it clearly as this, as everything uh, worked out, it was definitely underpriced at $10 a pound. So bringing up to a $136, that was probably an overreaction. Things are slightly different or were different back then where we're going through something called the nuclear renaissance where Japan was, I'm sorry, China was talking about uh, building out a whole lot of nuclear power plants. India uh, was uh, was certainly uh, looking at building out a bunch of power plants. Now China still is, but they certainly had a, a much more aggressive plan. This is pre-Fukushima, so Japan was consuming a lot. So back in 2007, when the market really moved up, it was it was a perfect storm of investor cash. It was consumption uh, by the uh, uh, by the present nuclear power plants and the anticipation because of the favorable view of uh, nuclear energy or nuclear power uh, by the whole world, uh, no carbon, even had Greenpeace at some of these conferences supporting nuclear. So back then you had really a robust plan, even domestically here in the US, we talked about building out uh, a bunch of new power plants uh, ourselves. So you had the nuclear renaissance, which gave us a real positive uh, attitude on, on the industry going forward. Because of Fukushima, we still have a bit of a hangover on the optimism. So we, given a scale of, of 1 to 10 on optimism, back in 2007, we had a 10 out of 10 on optimism. We, we go forward now a couple of years, and here we are in, in uh, 2021, and are we as optimistic? We, we love it because it doesn't, uh, commit, uh, it doesn't emit carbons, so we're, we're good there. We kind of like it as part of the mix. It's not going to replace other sources of energy. But to uh, uh, to really buy into this thing, as we know, to build that nuclear power plants, it's billions of dollars and ooh, some five to 10 year time frame of construction. So are we a 10 out of 10 in optimism and enthusiasm like we were in 2006 and 2007? Well, probably not. Are we more optimistic than we were uh, after Fukushima? Yeah, we're getting better. We're getting over what happened there, but we're still optimistic. Uh, maybe a five out of 10, maybe hopefully growing to a six out of 10, that the industry will uh, uh, will be robust. So where where are we compared to the past? Is it sustainable? Does this rally have legs? Is it gonna go higher? There's a whole lot of stuff that will have to play out going forward. As I mentioned, we have got mines that are not producing right now. Uh, we have uh, uh, a lot of uh, opportunistic uh, groups that are setting up uh, mines that uh, will open up as the price increases. So they're, they're, it's all good as far as the, the mining industry. It's good as far as the uh, the commodity is still relatively expensive, inexpensive, even at these prices. So the consumer, the nuclear power plant, is still only paying a small percentage of the sale of the electricity generated uh, with the cost of the fuel. So everything's still good. You still might go up a little bit. You might go down a little bit. Uh, I'm not quite sure where the sweet spot is going to be, where we have sustained supply and uh, and we have uh, consumption meeting somewhere in the middle, creating equilibrium. It's a tough question, but I'll tell you what, over the next couple of weeks, next couple of months, it'll be very interesting to find out uh, what will happen and where this price will go. Joe, I know it's it's always interesting to see and, and look at this stuff, especially for you know enthusiasts in this sector. And of course, you know, the enthusiasm behind nuclear, which I suspect that you uh, appreciate and, you know, would like to see nuclear continue to succeed as a form of energy, which obviously is much superior to everything else that we have presently. But do you care if supply and demand, as long as there's a transaction, I mean, as a broker, do you really care about what supply and demand is as long as there's a transaction? 
Well, yes and no. I mean, it sounds like it were kind of like a, a bit of a mercenary, the way you described it, is looking for a transaction. <laughs> Basically, that, yeah. that I set up, or when I came to this business, I didn't come as a new guy looking to, to pull as much money out of as I can. I, I, I came in as an experienced uh, professional that wanted to create a sustainable business that offered a service that the industry really liked. And so if we're just looking for commissions, you know, that that's not, that's how I get paid to be in the industry, but it's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to create a, uh, a product, a, a company that actually adds to the industry and creates the, the transparency and liquidity necessary uh, for the power plants to buy and also understand and explain why they're buying, uh, why the price is such, how many supply, how many, how much demand is there, how much supply is there, how many other nuclear power plants are buying right now, how many uh, other miners are selling right now, what the traders are doing. So I'd rather not live in a world where I'm just trying to go out and and uh, and just grab a commission. I'm in a world where I offer a service and and my customers uh, reward me uh, by doing a transaction with me because of the service I offered. So if it's just about the commission, I don't think my business would be sustainable. But since my business is based on offering uh, advice to consumers, to buyers, and advice to sellers, when is a good time to sell, uh, and uh, and also some advice to traders that help liquidity in a different way that I do, so we can help them with information as well, so they can help the the whole machine run. It's not just specifically about commissions; it's about uh, performing a service, and the commissions are just a reward for that service. Joe, fully agreed, and I like the way you put it because obviously you guys have extensive relationships, and so you guys are putting out a product that people want in this sector, and so I think that's you know important to point out here. One more point on that topic: the the most important thing, as I said, I've been doing this since the uh, since the mid '80s. The most important thing, and I didn't understand this at the beginning, but I do understand this now, and certainly not just. Uh, I'm 58 years old. I've uh, I've lived a life and found out that. The strength of your word and when people trust you, uh, that's basically makes you feel good about yourself and makes you go out there. And, and when other people trust and, and believe in what you're saying, uh, you have to earn that. And that's one thing that even though I consider myself or I should say the industry consider, considers me a new guy, I'm only in it 15 years <laughs> so or 12 or 13 years, whatever number is, most of these the folks in this industry have been around for uh, they're, 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 they've been around 20, 30, 40, well, 40, 50, 40, 50 years, some of these guys. And uh, and basically, to, to win their trust is the most important thing to me. It makes me feel good about what I do for a living and makes me feel good about myself to make sure that when I tell somebody something, whether it's right or wrong, uh, I'm not trying to mislead them. I'm telling them what I truly believe. So I, I, I hope I've earned the trust of most of the people in the industry. And, and those that I have not earned their trust, I hope to one day do that. Yeah, that's well said. Again, I think that's extremely important, especially in this business as well, that you have those relationships and that they're good relationships and everything's built upon that trust level because you also have a good chunk of that as well. That's a, it's not the case, um, specifically more on the publicly listed equity side of things. So, Joe, come back for just a moment here. I, SMRs, they're starting to get a little bit more strength. And, you know, this is basically the concept of taking a small modular reactor out of a nuclear powered submarine and old military technology by anybody's measure today and putting that on land and making it a commercial application for energy generation. What's your thought? Do you think SMRs get any traction, Joe, or do you think it's a pipe dream? 
Well, you know what? I, I can't give you uh, an answer to this question as an expert because that's not my field. Price, volatility, transactions, that's what I've spent my career doing. But one thing we do have uh, some chats at these conferences because you can't just talk about price all day long when you're at a conference. So the, it, the concept of the SMRs is exciting. Uh, the barrier, if we can ever get somewhere, we can, uh, if we live in a world where uh, the, the security and, and we don't have to worry about the threat of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, uranium uh, in its in its state uh, or a nuclear a small nuclear reactor getting into the wrong hands and and, and creating a, a some degree of danger dirty bomb you don't want to say those things but but basically uh, that would be the concern in a peaceful perfect world or an environment where you don't have to worry about uh, compromising the, the small reactor uh, in any way uh, certainly it seems like uh, something that could be uh, could be embraced uh, for uh, in many different opportunities but as I said I can't quote this as a uh, as an expert it's not my field uh, but the concept of it seems seems great but the uh, threat is the thing that seems to be the uh, the deterrent I want to talk about long-term contracting for a moment Joe as a broker uh, do you assist with setting up parties to a long-term contract, and do you see that long-term contracting will remain to be where the large majority of deals get done? I'll tell you, long-term contract is something we participate in uh, a lot of the advice uh, given in pricing a forward curve, understanding the value of, uh, of, of surety of production, and, uh, and, and a lot of times, not a lot of times, but sometimes, we vouch for uh, for people uh, if they haven't already uh, created a, a trust, uh, the say a new producer to a uh, uh, to a consumer. If we could aid in in creating that relationship, great. But a long term uh, contract presently between a a producer and a consumer, a nuclear power plant, it's kind of complicated. It's there's a lot of details involved. The, the consumer, the nuclear power plant, wants to. Uh, uh, help support production, and uh, the producer also wants to make a profit. So there's a lot goes into those contracts. We participate in a very minor way. It's not the bread and butter of our business. Sometimes we can participate in a financial intermediary who's getting involved in a long-term contract and in pricing that up, creating some uh, hedges and uh, and structuring, helping them structure a deal. We might find ourselves occasionally involved in that. That's not our bread and butter. That's something uh, uh, that really the, it, it's a bilateral negotiation that gets very complicated, and the uh, the function we perform uh, doesn't really help us in our byproduct, which is the transparency and liquidity. But we're happy to help anyone in, in assisting in such a way. As I said, we only get paid on transactions, but we're happy to help somebody in a transaction and sometimes not participate in it, knowing someday in the future when they have the opportunity to do a transaction that falls into our spot market or our midterm market transactions, then uh, then they might come back and help us on that. But it's not the long-term contracting in general. Uh, I, I do believe personally, not that it sounds possibly self-serving, uh, but I do believe that the market will ratio, bring their ratio to uh, uh, to spot and midterm transactions uh, to be more uh, than their uh, uh, than their long-term transactions. I think going forward, sounds self-serving. I'm not saying that because that's the business we participate more in, but I believe that's more normal to a uh, to other commodities that uh, you you want to compare it to. A lot of people from the nuclear from the uh, uranium business are have only been in the uranium business, 
and long-term contracting has been a very big percentage of their contracting. Whereas somebody who's been in a number of other industries, you see that that being able to cover yourself in a more liquid, more active market, sometimes it is is something you want to do, leaving some of your contract open to uh, uh, to uh, timing the market and making sure you participate in the pricing uh, of the spot environment. Joe, if a producer came to you that you have a relationship with that's been established for a number of years, do you think that you as an intermediary would be very useful when also talking to a utility that you know really well over the years? Do you think that they're more amenable to making some type of a deal when obviously a guy like yourself brings those two parties together and, and that shows the trust between the parties? Do you think that that's useful? Well, that goes back to the integrity, having built a, an honesty and integrity and knowing that's the uh, the most important part of my function, that people believe me, that they, they know that I'm negotiating on behalf of the producer. They know I'm negotiating on behalf of the, uh, on behalf of the utility. Uh, so they know, and, and I'll, I'll be right, right away, disclose that certainly they understand that's the case. So I have to be very transparent and very, uh, very honest about that transaction. Is there value added? Well, yes, we add value just on the information we get because uh, the, the world of information kind of exists in a real-time basis uh, where I live. Uh, we've we've got uh, we, we've got myself and we have Alexandra Penny and Ross Corbett, who's uh, uh, who are my colleagues in Uranium Marcus, and, and we basically just people want to sometimes I heard this is it true? So they'll 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 say something. They'll uh, uh, they'll ask a question about something. They'll want some sort of validating of what they thought is the actual truth. So we'll go out and find that information out for them and find out whether it's somebody who is benefiting from higher pricing who might be telling a, a bit of a tale to help the uh, help the price go up or or maybe uh, uh, reverse that uh, where a utility might be saying they heard there's, there's extra supply coming on, the price comes down. Sometimes in the marketplace people do that, but our role is basically to understand that, absorb that information, digest it, and uh, and decide whether there's any validity behind it. So uh, as far as us uh, helping with the information uh, that we receive, I, I think they are helped, both the consumer and the producer in a long-term contract, just adding a few missing pieces that might help them get over the finish line on contracting on their deal. Yeah, I think so. I think that's uh, probably a good way to look at it, and it's probably a good pathway for folks that, that are trying to do that, especially in the years to come here. Joe, I want to talk about people for a moment. Our audience, I think, respects and appreciates this. Is there anybody in this industry that you think the audience should pay attention to? Anybody you want to mention, maybe in your own office or even outside, good folks that you think people should pay attention to? Well, you know what? That's I, I, I can't go specific because I've met so many nice people because I've been in the foreign exchange business where people would sell their firstborn to get an advantage on a deal. I've been in the, uh, the bond business where people would just, they'd cut off their finger if they can get a better price on something. Something, you know, I've been in industries that that people were very, very aggressive and they didn't care who they stepped on and they didn't care who they plowed through, who they injured in the process of trying to make a profit. I do say, though, in this industry, uh, in, in the uranium industry, I've only found people that actually truly care that they're, they're looking after the interests, their responsibilities of, of representing their companies. Uh, they're doing their best to price things well, but they also understand that that there's people on the other side that they've known for years and and they will find uh, more chances to be fair uh, than they will to be unfair. 
So I do say in this industry, I've got to put, if you're asking for a shout out for anybody specific, I couldn't do that because then you'd be leaving some of the other wonderful people from this industry out. When somebody loses their job in this, in this, I've noticed in this small little community of the uranium markets, everybody tries to tr help that person get another job and they might make a few calls. They might call that person and right away, everybody knows when somebody loses their job for whatever reason, you call them right away because there's nothing worse than the gut punch you receive when you lose your position unexpectedly in a company. So right away, people reach out, wish them well. And then when something opens up somewhere, they, they certainly reach out to the people and try to get them in, in other positions. So this it, it's a wonderful group of people. Uh, it, it's a great bunch. And I, I can't really specifically name anyone uh, because then I'd be leaving out too many. So that, I'm sorry I can't answer your question there. Joe, I appreciate that. Understood. At the end here, just kind of wrapping up, um, maybe this is a good time for you to cover some of the other office staff that's there and, and you guys have got things set up where you're out of, et cetera. You guys obviously have uh, your website. Um, you know, for, for parties that are listening that want to get in touch with you and for those looking for broker services, you know, what do you offer here and, and how can they reach out to you? What's the best way to get in touch? Hey, Andrew, one second. I have got the offer or calling in here. Hold on. Let's see what we got. Hello, Chad. You're on. I'm on the podcast right now that I told you I was going to be participating in. So they're right now, you're now part of the podcast. So uh, uh, so is there any interesting bit of information that you want to give to the, uh, the people that are listening to the podcast? <laughs> Bingo. Done, sold, and lock it in, Joe. <laughs> Mark, it looks like it's still moving up. I think we'll, uh, uh, we'll see if we... The outside money still coming in. Chad's filling me full of all of the, the points that we talked about already with Andrew. So, <laughs> so we're good. But let me call you back in two minutes. We, I have nothing to report on the transaction you were hoping to be uh, that we had. And I'll, I'll call you back in a couple of minutes on this because we'll wind it up now. And Andrew's, uh, you know, we're winding out of this. So I'll talk to you in a little bit. Thank you. Bye. So, Andrew, that was one of our nice people I just talked about who is uh, one of the traders uh, who is uh, interested in participating in a transaction in the very near future. He's hoping more near than uh, than further out. So that's his aspirations. But us, we're, we uh, Uranium Markets, we're, we're located, our headquarters are in Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, we have an office in, uh, in, in England. We have Ross Corbett, who's working for us over there. And we have Alexandra, who was in Manhattan. She moved, uh, moved the office to Brooklyn. So she's, uh, she's in Brooklyn now, I guess, when everything was going on in Manhattan, they just brought their headquarters over there. So, uh, so we, uh, we basically have our, uh, uh, have our offices here in Greenwich, Connecticut is, is our headquarters. Joe, that sounds great. And what's the best way for, if there's interested parties here, you know, our audience consists of, you know, a, a wide range of investor types, but also company CEOs and other folks uh, that are involved with the industry that listen into this podcast from time to time. What's the best way for them to reach out? Well, I'll tell you though, I take everyone's phone call because I love phone calls. I'm the old, I'm the old school broker that likes to talk to people. So if anyone wants to know anything, even if it's just purely for information, uh, feel free to call me. It's 203-536-0025 and get me 24-7. I don't care if you're in a different time zone and you, you have me in an awkward time. It makes no difference. I, I, I take the call every single time. So if anybody wants to call me, just even if it's just purely about information on uranium, I'm happy to talk to them. If they want to learn or understand how to purchase uh, uranium, I can certainly help them uh, with that, as we talked about prior to this. Happy to engage anybody. Uh, just that's the number, 203-536-0025.
Okay, folks, pick up the phone and uh, Joe will be there to help you out. Well, Joe, it's it's really great to uh, bring you out here and get your voice to highlight what's going on in the market here and also your work over at Uranium Markets. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Hey, my pleasure, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Anytime, anything uh, anything comes up in our industry, you need a little information on, even if it's not show related and you want to pick up some uh, uh, some pointers, you also too can call that number anytime you like. And if you need me on the show again, happy to do it. <laughs>